We return this morning to 2 Samuel 21. Good news. There's a way out of guilt. God provides a, an atonement for us so that his blessings and rather than curses may be poured out upon us. Page 321 in your pew Bibles, 2 Samuel 21. Though it comes after the rebellion of Absalom and then the rebellion of Sheba, this likely happened earlier. There's no time indicator given in this passage. Days of David. Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David sought the face of the Lord. He said, There's blood guilt on Saul and on his house because he put the Gibeonites to death. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not of the people of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. Although the people of Israel had sworn to spare them, Saul had sought to strike them down in his zeal for the people of Israel and Judah. And David said to the Gibeonites, what shall I do for you? And how shall I make atonement that you may be blessed or that you may bless the heritage of the Lord? The Gibeonites said to him, it's not a matter of silver or gold between us and Saul or his house. Neither is it for us to put any man to death in Israel. And he said, what do you say that I shall do for you? They said to the king, the man who consumed us and planned to destroy us so that we have no place in all the territory of Israel, let seven of his sons be given to us so that we may hang them before the Lord. Hang them before the Lord at Gibeah of Saul, the chosen of the Lord. And the king said, I will give them. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Saul's son, Jonathan, because of the oath of the Lord that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. The king took Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, whom she bore to Saul, Armoni and Mephibosheth. So this is a different Mephibosheth. And the five sons of Mirab, the daughter of Saul, whom she bore to Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Maholathite. That's a different Barzillai, the Gileadite, that old man who blessed David earlier. And he gave them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them on the mountain before the Lord. And the seven of them perished together. They were put to death in the first days of harvest at the beginning of barley harvest. Then Rizpah, the daughter of Aya, took sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock from the beginning of harvest until rain fell upon them from the heavens. And she did not allow the birds of the air to come upon them by day or the beasts of the field by night. When David was told Rizpah, the daughter of Aya, the concubine of Saul had done, David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of his son Jonathan from the men of Jabesh Gilead who had stolen them from the public square of Beth Shan where the Philistines had hanged them on the day the Philistines killed Saul on Gilboa. And he brought them up from there, brought up from there the bones of Saul and the bones of his son Jonathan. And they gathered the bones of those who were hanged and they buried the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan in the land of Benjamin and Zelah in the tomb of Kish, his father. 
And they did all that the king commanded. And after that, God responded to the plea for the land that is the plea for rain. This is God's word. May he bless us by it. Brothers and sisters, in our Lord Jesus Christ, the last four chapters of 2 Samuel seem to be a grab barrel of an assortment of leftovers of David's stories. But they're really quite neatly arranged as a sort of a summary, a summary of David's reign. You can really draw three circles. The first and the last story are narratives about David's reign. The middle stories are lists of David's mighty men and the two middle points or the two middle accounts are songs or poems of David. We start then with this account of guilt and atonement and grace at Gibeah. It's a sad story. It's a horrible story in some ways. But at the same time, it's a glad story. There's a way out of God's displeasure and curse. The shedding of blood. And there's a way back into blessing for us, dear people of God. Whether the whole nation sins or just one person, God has provided a way of atonement through the shedding of blood. And as Jesus said, every story in the Bible testifies about me. These seven sons of Saul who shed their blood to make atonement for the death of the Gibeonites really can't pay the price of sin, can they? But they're a picture of him, the one who did, Jesus Christ. So we want to see the beauty of the cross here. Gibeon, Gibeah, and Golgotha. First we see Israel's guilt before God over Gibeon. And then God's grace, God's atonement at Gibeah of Saul. And then thirdly, hope at the grave. There was famine, verse 1. A famine in the days of David for three years. Year after year. To have a famine one year, maybe we can endure it. Once you get to the second year, it gets to be too much. And once you're at the third year, everything is devastated. The land becomes powder. Year after year. This is not a weather report. It's much more than that. And David knew it. And it says he sought the face of the Lord. As a believer, he was aware that the weather is always more than the weather. It's always more than a collection of natural and human factors. God is always in the story at the center. Now, modern Secular scientific narrative always leaves God out of the weather. If there's an epidemic, if there are hurricanes or floods or droughts, if there are drug problems, suicide issues, in our culture, 
We consult our experts. But because of our blinders in secularism, where we live in a closed world, live in a closed world, and there's no God, if there is, he doesn't figure in. We would never consult with God, would we? We would never reach out to him in prayer. We would never ask him what's going on. You would never be open to the fact that maybe it's because we've killed 50,000 through MAID in the last three years. Or 255,000 through abortion in the last three years in our country alone. No, no, never be part of it. We never ask him, show us by your word and say, on, Lord, in our land. Oh, may God always give us spiritual sensitivity like he gave to David. To see God at the center of all that happens. That doesn't mean that there's a problem that somehow we've sinned. We know that when that uh, blind man or Jesus met that blind man, the disciples asked him who sinned. He or his parents that he was born blind. Neither of the glory of God might be exposed or might be manifest. But still, how blind is a culture and a person that can't see God and refuses to see the hand of God in all that happens. That doesn't rule out natural factors, of course not. But David sought the face of the Lord. What a leader. To dare to bring the nation before the Lord and say, Lord, what's going on? Something's going on and I don't know what it is and you have to show us. You would say, well, David, it should be obvious. Genocide of the Gibeonites and you're... We can have those big blind spots where we commit terrible sins and we can't even see it. And you know, God mercifully revealed the problem. And the Lord said, there is blood guilt on Saul and on his house because he put the Gibeonites to death. Whether he sent a prophet to David or gave him a dream, we don't know how he revealed that. But God isn't like the spouse who's mad, but he won't tell you why. Figure it out on your own. There's mercy here, brothers and sisters. He's punishing the land with famine. That's a mark of the curse in Deuteronomy 28. That if you break covenant with me, I'm going to shut the skies. And David, that's the reason David seeks the Lord. Whenever we have an issue, take it to the Lord. Do you know the Lord is a merciful king who will show you the way ahead, whatever the issue might be? Or if there's none at all, but he just wants you to grow, take it to the Lord. So David receives the bad news from God. The Lord said there's blood guilt on Saul and his house because he put the Gibeonites to death. This was genocide. The Gibeonites say later, he planned to wipe us all out. Out of zeal for Israel and Judah. This is racism. Because of his zeal for ethnic Israel, he's going to wipe out this Canaanite tribe. Now, you remember the story of that Canaanite tribe? They came and they deceived Joshua. They pretended they came from a long ways away. Look, our bread is all moldy. Our wineskins are cracked. Our shoes and clothes are worn out. 
oh, please make peace with us, when they just came a couple miles down the road. But the point is that Joshua and Israel made a covenant with them to make peace with them and let them live among them in the land, even though they were Canaanites. And so they were assimilated into Israel, but they were ethnically different. And Saul, not Saul alone, and his house tried to wipe them out. This is a genocide. How many thousands of Gibeonites were killed? We're not told. But it has brought strife among the Gibeonites where they can no longer bless the heritage of the Lord. They're no longer unified with the people of God. There's sin in the camp. And it's got to be removed. It's got to be atoned for. And that's the task of a leader in Israel in the church. To see the problem and address it before the Lord. For the glory of God. But also for the protection, the unity of the church and the flourishing of the church. Rather than let it go and let it grow and just ignore it. Oh, how wise of David to go after this. And how merciful of God to reveal the problem that needed to be confessed and addressed. So you see, there's two serious problems here. There's the lesser problem, killing, murder. There's the greater problem. They made an oath before the Lord. They took an oath in the name of God. Joshua 9 says they cut a covenant. That means they cut animal pieces in half. Both sides, the Gibeonites and the Israelites leaders, walk through the pieces and say, we make a covenant. If either side breaks it, let that side die like this animal. They made a covenant in the name of the Lord. And they broke it. They took God's name in vain. This is blasphemy. And there must be death to pay for it. 400 years after the covenant is made, Saul broke that peace treaty. Sometimes we say, oh, we made that treaty with First Nations so long ago. Yeah, 150, 200 years ago. Treaties are meant to be kept. They're made in the name of the Lord. Oh, we made a treaty with Ukraine. NATO did in 1994 to protect them if they would give up all their nukes. Then the war comes and many nations start to say, oh, but that was then. Treaties are important. So also when it comes to our marriage vows and vows as elders and deacons and baptismal vows and profession of faith vows. Vows as doctors and Police, firefighters, other professionals, members of parliament. We must keep our promises in the name of the Lord. But a national treaty here has been broken. Perhaps thousands of life but- lives butchered by the, by the house of Saul. And that has gone up to the Lord. That injustice has gone up to the It's not hidden from him. Everybody else seems to have just glossed it over and they, life goes on, right? Not with God. God is good. God is good. It reaches heaven, he sees, he knows, and he does something about it. And that's what that famine was about. 
So secondly, we see atonement at Gibeah. David said to the Gibeonites, what shall I do for you? What a great question. He didn't try to sweep it under the rug and say, well, you know, no, no, no. What shall I do for you? And how shall I make atonement that you may bless the hair, that you may once again be blessed to be part of Israel and be happy to be part of Israel. You may bless the heritage of the Lord. Sin has been committed and it must be paid for. David knows that and he offers to do that for the Gibeonites. What shall I do for you? Very beautiful. Imagine, brothers and sisters, if every time we wronged somebody, we would run to them and say, how can I make that right to you? Imagine. That's taking sin seriously, isn't it? David takes sin seriously because God takes sin seriously. It's offensive. Sin is offensive to a holy God. It's an aggravation to all that he is. How shall I make atonement? And that word atonement means to cover sin. And in Israel, covering sin, atonement required two things propitiation and expiation. Big words, but let me say a little bit about them. Propitiation and expiation. No expiation without propitiation. Expiation means to take sin out of the way. Propitiation means to offer a sacrifice for it to turn the wrath of God away. But to offer a sacrifice for it, to pay for it, to satisfy God's justice, that must come first. And then it can be taken out of the way. Propitiation first, expiation next. And that was obvious in Leviticus 16 on the Day of Atonement. Remember, not one, but two goats were offered on the Day of Atonement. The first goat as a whole burnt offering to the Lord, a propitiation to the Lord. That thing would be slaughtered, totally destroyed. And then the blood offered to the Lord to pay for sin as a picture of Christ's blood. And then God would forgive. But then there was the second goat where the priest would lay his hands. Both, in both goats, the priest would lay his hands on the goat and confess the sins of Israel on them. The second goat too, confess the sin of Israel on the goat and then it would wander away into the wilderness, the scapegoat, and take sin away. That's the expiation goat. And that's what needs to happen here. No expiation unless there's propitiation. That sin must be paid for in order to be taken out of the way and God's wrath removed from the nation and the Gibeonites avenged and fellowship restored both with God and the Gibeonites. And that's what David's asking about. How shall we do this? And that's what Christ did for us at Golgotha when he hung there on the cross for us as the propitiation for us, paying for our sins, taking God's wrath to remove that wrath from us and also to take away the sin of the world. He did both in one sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. So how shall I make atonement for you for what the house of Saul did to you? They said, Well, money can't pay for sin. They knew their Bibles well. 
Listen to Numbers 35, 33. You shall not pollute the land in which you live, for blood pollutes the land. And no atonement can be made for the land for the blood that is shed in it, except by the blood of the one who shed it. Money can't pay for that, those murders. Only death. Again, Numbers 35, 31. You shall accept no ransom for the life of a murderer who's guilty of death, but he shall be put to death. What shall I do for you? They said, the man who consumed us and planned to destroy us. Let seven of his sons be given to us so that we may hang them before the Lord at Gibeah of Saul, the chosen of the Lord. And the king said, I will give them. And that's what he did. He handed over seven members of Saul's household. Two children from Saul's concubine, Rizpah, Armoni and Mephibosheth, the, another Mephibosheth, and five grandchildren from Saul's daughter, Mirab. But he didn't hand over the other Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, because of the oath that he swore to Jonathan. He also, David has to also keep his oath, his covenant that he made. And then we read in verse nine, he gave them into the hands of the Gibeonites and they hanged them on the mountain, notice, before the Lord. Now these weren't crucifixions exactly, that came later in history. They would kill them first and then hang them on a pole, a stake, for all to see. And we know from Deuteronomy 21 that that meant they were a curse. These seven were taking the curse of Israel upon themselves. Now, it's a mercy there were only seven. The Gibeonites requested only seven because... If you do life for life, it would have been a lot more. But no, they said, let there be seven as a pledge of atonement, as an offering before the Lord, an offering to God, not to the Gibeonites, to God. And we know seven expresses the number of fullness but members of the house of Saul who are sinners can't pay for sin. But as Jesus said, every passage testifies of me. It's a pointer, this seven of fullness to the one sinless man, the unblemished lamb. Not is wrong with thee, Jesus. He alone can pay for those sins, the sin against the Gibeonites, and all our sins. As the offering of atonement was made at Gibeah before the Lord, the offering at Golgotha was made before the Lord, before God, as a payment for sin. Yes, these stories, says Romans, were written for our encouragement so that through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. You know, we, we need the story of Gibeah. Because sometimes 
the story of Golgotha, we domesticate it and becomes too nice, too sweet. And we get immune to its meaning. And we don't see its offensiveness and filthiness anymore. But we look at Gibeah and we say, gross, yuck, gory, stinky, offensive, bloody. How can this be? And God is putting in front of our faces again the pain and anguish and horror of Golgotha. So we can truly see something of the cost of our sin. Sin, brothers and sisters, is so costly. And it takes gruesome, gory, hellish agony and death for God's wrath to be extinguished and peace to be restored with God, for us to make atonement before the Lord. We've not killed the Gibeonites. We've done far worse. How often we haven't taken God's name in vain and broken our promises and insulted our God and deserved to die, to be hung from a tree as a curse. We deserve that spot of hanging from the stake there. But I don't know if we actually believe that, that we deserve that. But in this case, Saul and his house represent all Israel, which participated in this, whether actively or passively. All Israel deserved to die. And we all deserved it. No matter how good a home you come from, how you are, or I am, we're wicked. And we deserve to die. And the heavens are shut above us. Unless the price is paid and sin is taken out of the way. You see the glory of God here in Jesus Christ. David offered up seven sons of Saul, which really could not finally pay the price. But God offered up his one and only son to pay the price for us. So his blessings might flow down on us instead. Do you see here, brothers and sisters, you need the story I do. No matter how guilty you are before God and how offensive your life is to him right now and how shut the heavens above you are There's a way out. God has provided a way out for you in the death of his son hanging from a tree who became a curse for you. Don't ever despair that your sin is too great and there's no way out. The Lord is telling you here, there's a way out for sinners. Not through the death of the seven, but the death of the one. There's a way out for sinners. And we see that thirdly in the hope for Rizpah. There's a very interesting and at the same time sad ending. The closing scene here is a very personal and heart-wrenching account of Rizpah. 
Saul's concubine, holding a vigil of love for her two sons and the other five. And we don't know how long she stayed there, but we know it was from the beginning of the harvest until the rains came. Some people say weeks, some people say months, but day and night, as the bodies were hanging there from their stakes, she kept the birds and the animals away. So that the bodies would rot there on the cross without being taken away. And the bones would... You know, in a sense, she couldn't do anything. She was just honoring the dead. A mother filled with love for her sons. That's all she could do. She couldn't bring them back to life. And when David hears of it, he is touched. And you know how he honored Rizpah? He went all the way to Jabesh Gilead, east side of the Jordan, where Saul and his sons were buried. He exhumed their bones. Then he took the bones of the seven, and he gave them all from the house of Saul an honorable burial in Kish's tomb in the land of Benjamin. Kish, Saul's dad. And with that burial, notice the last verse, the curse is ended and the heavens open again and God answers the plea for the land. The rains come down. You say, what is that all about? It means God has provided a way out. Not only a way out of sin, but a way back. A way of reconciliation. And what's pictured here is another mother weeping at the cross of her son as he hung from a pole at Golgotha. Is there a way out of that death, that perfect death? And then he was buried. But there was an earthquake at that tomb. And he again. He's truly the way out. So Rizpah's honor guard at the, the tomb, at the graves, or at the bones, are really a picture of the much more hopeful death that's coming that ends in life. There is real hope for you and me, brothers and sisters, at the grave of Jesus Christ. Because after Good Friday comes Easter. New life. Proof. God's curse is off you who trust in him. It's gone. Your sin is paid for. It's taken out of the way. Atonement is made. His curse is gone. And you live under an open heaven. Can you imagine David and Israel after all this was over? What relief to know that God's wrath was out of the way. Sin was paid for. They were free to get up in the morning and go to work and to live under a reconciled God. A God who was pleased with them through the atonement, through the shedding of blood, somebody else's blood. 
Maybe you're not enjoying any freedom in your life right now because there's sin that's not confessed. And you get up in the morning with a sense of God's not happy with me. And you work all day with a sense of God's not happy with me. And you go to bed the same way. If you confess your sin in the name of Jesus Christ, you have full assurance that it's been paid for. The curse is removed. And you live under an open heaven. And you may have full confidence that God is with you day by day and loving you and receiving your worship, your prayers, your service. There's no happier life than to live and die in that confidence, that knowledge that the curse is gone. Heaven is open to you. And God is yours and you are his. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again we gladly confess we, we need 2 Samuel 21. This is the hope that all sinners need. Thank you not for the blood of the seven so much as the blood of the one. Not the grave, the burial of the seven, but the burial of the one, which ended in a resurrection. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for opening a door to heaven for us through him. The rains of your blessings come upon us through your son. Oh, give us that freedom of knowing that we serve a reconciled God who loves us. Bring us to him. In Jesus we pray, amen.